everybody. Welcome to Tone Talk with Mark Uzanski and Dave Friedman. How's everybody doing? It's episode 144, and we've got a spectacular guest tonight, Greg Fiddleman. He's a producer, engineer, mixer for the stars, basically. Everybody, I mean, Metallica, so, so many bands. So we're going to go through all of that tonight. Um, how you doing, Greg? I'm good. I'm good. Glad to be here. Thanks for uh, joining. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We've been talking about this for a couple of years, probably. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're just yeah. busy with doing records and things, and it's, you know, it's sometimes hard. But we, right, had, yeah. we haven't been talking about it for a while. So, yeah. So, I thought the uh, timing was perfect, though. After after the Metallica record had come out, yeah. right? Definitely, yeah. yeah. I think I, th I think it's good. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and I saw you, some... whole, saw you do a whole bunch of press with that and stuff. Right. Yeah. 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 Well, you just happen to be in Metallica studio right now, right? I am. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like I said, it's sort of um, nothing really happening here. Specifically, no project, but I, I'm, I sort of have free reign over here, and I've got a bunch of my gears here as well. So I kind of am just I'm sort of in between things. I'm taking a little chill time and just kind of you know, messing around with new gear, or just kind of cleaning house and making sure everything's still working and <laughs> you know, that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Oh, well, it's a great place to be. Yeah, you know, and it's you know I can fire up an amp here, make a bunch of noise, and that's fun stuff. Over here. <laughs> so the, first, the first question that comes to my mind, since this is an amp kind of driven show, is what do you got there? Do you have like a, oh, what don't they have there? <laughs> yeah, like a Jose driven. Uh, yeah, I mean we've got. I mean, you know what Everything. I have is is a kind of a large collection that you add on top of what they've got floating around here. It gets pretty crazy, but I mean if it if anyone ever liked it, I, it's probably here. And then a few that probably people never liked are even here. But, you know, I mean, there's tons of Marshalls. There's a bunch of Mesa Boogie Mark II C pluses. Um, you know, they have a hand. They got a bunch of them. I have, I oddly have two as well. Um, I bought a Mark II C plus like 1985 or something. It was my first, like, my first really loud head that I bought. Um, it's funny that it ends up being, you know, here, how many years ago that was, um, and it's still kind of a favorite. It's pretty awesome, but yeah, all kinds of stuff, Ampegs and, and, uh, all kinds of stuff, you know, they use, you know, there's a bunch of diesels here. Obviously there's a bunch of Freedmans here. Um, you know, every, any, if anyone's ever made a good sort of Mar old Marshall, clone there's the one or two here <laughs> you know just everything, everything. yeah yeah that's yeah cool. well before we dive in <clears throat> they mentioned some of our uh our sponsors or dave were you going to say something oh, go ahead <clears throat> so let's uh let's talk about sweetwater this month is recording month which obviously works perfectly for greg uh so um right now and i'm going to share my screen so you guys can see it Sure, Greg's bought something from Sweetwater. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Many a lot of bags probably. of candy. <laughs> a lot so of candy. Recording month through the end of October 31st. Zero uh, percent interest for up to 48 months. Um, make sure you check out the deals that they have going on. Uh, microphones, you know, all kinds. Go down a little bit there. We have some. Uh, uh, so are those bare? No, those aren't barefoots, are they? I can't tell. <laughs> what these speakers 
Yeah, I no, I no, it's pointing right. to those. No, those I don't think those are barefoots. Uh, but I was going to say, if you want to buy a Bracosti Reverb, please use our link and <laughs> go there and buy that. Well, here, here you know, you got some high end studio monitors, but yeah. use our link, please. <laughs> Absolutely, use the link that we provide in the video below, and uh, anything you buy provides a little help to the show. So, uh, but there's a bunch of stuff that's for you know for sale and you can again do interest uh, free for a 48 months if you want to finance so uh, make sure you check out sweetwater this month for recording month and we'll talk a little bit with greg about his favorite mics there is a really good mic you should maybe go out and buy at sweetwater and that's the soyuz 1973 uh it's a great condenser and it's amazing on guitar uh how you spell that i forgot but <laughs> right but right. it's it's amazing uh you know uh like i always said pete thorne did a little thing there when he was there and he did a little mic shootout that they did a little video of for you know guitar miking basically right and he's going through all these these mics and listening to you know all the standard you know standard stuff that you would normally think would be put on a guitar and uh and they put up that mic because it was on recommendation from Sweetwater. And Pete's like, holy crap, I think that's the best one. And then he went and just bought it right then and there at the store. <laughs> Brought it home, has used it ever since. Wow. So um, it's a really good, it's surprisingly a good guitar mic. Well, make sure you guys use our link. And uh, we appreciate it. And yeah, so check out Sweetwater. Also check out fixpedalboards.com. Uh, lots of new products or products there. And his, he's going to have a new website, Dave. New website said. launching at some point in time. Yep. Yep. And then Every also finish. Tomon. Make sure you check out tomon.com. You're in Europe. There is a link from Tomon like you were if you were Sweetwater here. I actually don't think we've actually had anybody buy anything from Tomon yet. So um I, not like you win a prize but come on buy some, <laughs> but, but buy something from tomon so um maybe we I, have more u.s viewers yeah i think we do I, but i haven't i mean i saw, I saw a bunch of clicks for tomon but no no purchases so but the funny okay. thing is they ship to the u.s too i heard that I did hear that at incredibly good prices, and it's interesting. Yeah, how do they do that? I don't even know how it gets here at that price. I I don't understand. Like free shipping or stuff. They're crazy. I'm not sure if it's free shipping, but it's it's like really <laughs> okay. <And laughs> Michael Torin. So use yeah. So there you, there's this. There you go. Cool. Hope Michael's doing good. Um, all right, so that's it for the promos. Uh, so make sure you check out those guys. We all of the links down below our video we also <clears throat> thanks to dave sent me a video on now our our t-shirt store should be working so if you guys are watching on youtube right now which you should probably are um scroll down below and you should see our t-shirt store so if there's any t-shirts that you want to know yeah let us know if you don't see the t-shirts please mark when in doubt you just ask the internet true <laughs> That's true. 100%. How do I do this? <laughs> well, I tried that, but yeah. But then I, it was just a matter of like, they change where they put things. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's just, anyway, back to uh, Greg. 
So, Greg, how you been? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, you know, sort of, like I said, I'm sort of in between things, which feels pretty good. Is the last couple of years have been kind of crazy. Um, it's like Sounds crazy busy. Um, it's nice to have a little time to just kind of take stock and get organized. And um, just that alone is a bit of a job, but yeah, all's good. Not bad. So how long did it work? Did, did you work on 72 seasons? How long did it take to work on that? Um, we started, we, we, we that the beginning of that record is, was really strange. We started during the pandemic and we sort of were, um, sort of try to tackle this how do we do this remotely kind of thing that a lot of people were trying to tackle I, we ended up being fairly successful with it but you know it sort of started with um <clears throat> when was that i think it was like probably may or june of 20 where it was more you know me and lars kept calling me and he was you know getting pretty fidgety and wanted to go over riffs or you know whatever we were supposed to do we were supposed to do a, a version of the song Nothing Else Matters for a Disney film, March 2020, literally like the lockdown week. We were having going to have a session here at, at this studio. And it's like, you know, two days before, it's like, I think we're going to have to cancel this. Disney's, I think Disney's going to stop production anyways. These things are looking crazy. So we were already talking anyways. And, and uh, you know, Lars was like, what can we do? Maybe I'll do something. And oddly... When I worked with them, end of nineteen, we did the the S and M two thing with the orchestra, the couple shows, right. and that turned into an album project. Um, at the end of that, before I went back to Los Angeles, um, Lars had you know, sort of Lars had recently moved, and he's like, "I really got to get some. I want to get something going on in my home studio where I could like record something." He's, he's always got a place where he could like warm up or whatever, but not really set up to record. And he's not a technical guy, really. But so we had set up. I was like, yeah, let's let's do this. We'll mic the drum set up. We'll put two guitar, like two half stacks and a bass amp and a little keyboard. We'll kind of mic everything up and get a little Pro Tools rig. And then, you know, if you go down, you know, you know, his his, his kids and all of his kids play. And sometimes they have little family jams. And so, you know, also some friends come over. They want to jam or whatever. Like, let's just make it so it's not hard for somebody that knows very little about pro tools to just open up a thing and hit record and you guys can rock and record it. So when we were doing that, we had no idea how handy that was going to be, but you know, come May or June of 20, he's kind of there by himself. I'm in LA and his kids, uh, his kids were there in, with him. Um, and his, uh, both of his, well, his two oldest sons are, pretty handy especially miles his oldest son was kind of new pro tools and whatever and he's like oh yeah, let me do some stuff we'll try to record something we did one of these little uh you know songs for you know, pandemic things whereas everyone was doing like a little zoom demo kind of a thing right, right. So we did like an acoustic version of one of the band's songs um and we had to record drums and i'm like if miles could just open up a session and and james had sent us acoustic you know him playing the acoustic and singing so let's just you just play along to that a bunch of takes and we'll cut something together and then we'll send that. I'll figure out how to get Kirk on it and how to get Rob on it. And it just sort of, that was sort of the first thing. And at that point it was like a zoom call and a FaceTime call at the same time. It was pretty hectic and chaotic. And then it's sort of after that 
me and Lars talked. He's like, you know, do you think we could refine this a little bit and kind of get this, we, we maybe try to work on some songs or something? And it sort of, it started us on this crazy adventure of like, what can we do? What can't we do? What, you know, what are the restrictions and, you know, with latency and all that sort of stuff. And we ended up coming with a, up some pretty crazy ways for, for the guys to actually start working on some songs. So, you know, the first thing we sort of went through a bunch of riff tapes, came up with a pile of riffs and then sort of here's 15 riffs, you know, James, here's 15 things that Lars liked, you know, what do you, which ones are your favorites? I'll pick five. All right. Well, I'm going to send you, I'm going to, I'm going to FedEx you a laptop kind of thing. That's all set up and ready to go. You plug it into this and that. And we kind of went through that routine. James is fairly technical. He was able to do it pretty easy. And then it was sort of like, just get them playing together. So that was probably like, I think that was in May or something of that year. And it, you know, they can't play together at the same time while he like, like they are in the same room, but like, we'd be like, all right, here's a click. Everyone's hearing a click. James is going to, James has got the click. He's going to play to the click. He's going to play the riff. Lars, you listen to that and play. But while James is doing that, he's not hearing the drums because obviously it'll be crazy late. Um, right. So we play for like two minutes, stop. And then I, I was controlling Lars's computer from Los Angeles via, you know, Splashtop and all this other stuff. And our one of our engineers, Jason, was operating James's laptop from also in Los Angeles, but not in the same place I was. Wow. And then I'd be like, all right, then I would hit play on Lars's rig and we'd listen back to the riff with the drums. And then we'd saw, okay, what about that thing? Oh, maybe you should, maybe we should, you know cut that piece in half or why don't you do a fill there we'll transition to this other i got another riff that we could try there and it was really clunky i mean especially at at the beginning it was really kind of frustrating but um but at the same time considering what was going on it's hard to kind of almost now already it's a little hard to remember what the mentality was being you know not being able to get together or whatever but it, it turned out to be really great and we, i think we put together probably 15 solid ideas um via the zoom thing and like i said after those guys did it then i would bring it to kirk and i would control kirk's computer from la and he was in hawaii and the same thing with rob and then a couple times it would be lars and james or, i'm sorry lars and kirk you know just kind of mix it up came up with a bunch of great songs and then at the end of 20 in, in november i believe it was november someone in the organization, the whole Metallica um, universe here had an idea to do a, to broadcast a benefit show from this studio here, HQ the guys who play live and they've done these sort of benefit things. It was sort of an acoustic based, at least originally the idea was acoustic. And we did this like a webcast from the building here. It's kind of next level crazy. And when the idea to do that was, you know, we did the crazy bubble thing. Everyone was testing and then everyone had to isolate together. Um, the idea, once we knew we were coming here, I was like, why don't we, why don't me and the band arrive a week early and we'll work on these songs together at the studio. And then we'll do the, sh the rehearsals for the show. We'll do the show and then we'll hang out. We'll also stay a little late and then we'll do another four or five days afterwards. And it was kind of, a, it was a crazy, awesome uh, experience because we walked into the studio and we already had, no one had played together really yet 
but yet we had like 15 songs that everyone kind of knew how it went. So it was like, you know, 20 minutes into rehearsal one, you know, take three of, you know, song X, you know, oh, this should be that way. I don't mm -hmm. like that part too. You know, we started arranging and really hit the ground running in a way that, you know, with hindsight was sort of, I don't think it could have happened any easier. I mean, I've tried other, I've done other projects with them and getting started sometimes is one of the harder things, you know, but this was just like when we got in the room and everyone was, it was barely said hello. Everyone was so excited to put the guitar on or whatever, or sit at the kit and, and get going. So it worked out great. That's awesome. Well, that was, oh. yeah, May, uh, that was November. And then I went home and then we came back to another week, I think in December. And then the idea was like, why don't we once a month get together here? And then me and my wife came back up to the Bay Area and we just said, oh, why don't we just rent a house or find something to just instead of having to go back and forth since nothing was really happening in Los Angeles. And then we just kind of started working on the record. I mean, it's, we just slid right into it. But, mm -hmm. uh, you know, all things, you know, with that band, you know, things sometimes take a long time. So even though... I was here all the time. I didn't have all four band members here all the time. So they were moving around, going home and back. And then even during the process, once we cut some tracks, um, I think, I don't remember when they did their first round of shows, but they went out and did some shows and people started doing shows that second summer. And then some other non-album related projects that, that we worked on. We did a masterclass thing and all these sort of little projects pop up in between. So it's, it's really gets broken up as far as the, the, you know, if you count the days of how many days we worked on the record, I think we did this record quicker than the previous one, but as a whole, it took a little bit longer because there was all these, you know, crazy pandemic things at the front and then some other little projects and some touring that they wanted to do some makeup shows that they had canceled. So all in all, it takes, you know, two, I think two and a half years or something. But like I said, it wasn't two and a half years of just making that record. It just that's the amount of time that passed from when we started till when we finished. Damn. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. amazing. And uh, it's like you did pre-production before you went in, which is yeah, which we did pre-production before we did pre-production. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah they, how'd they keep it a secret? That was the other thing, right? Uh, yeah, people, people were like shocked that, like, oh, they have a new album coming. Boom. Right. Yeah, we sort of the whole idea was like, let's just you know. Everyone kind of tight-lipped, and, you know, usually that does not work out, but it did this time. Yeah, I was going to well, say, usually you know, it doesn't work out. Yeah, because yeah, someone mentions it to someone, and they mentions it, mentioned it to someone, and... Yeah. 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 Or you learn to keep And, you know, one benefit of this place, too, is for, especially for the way that they work, is that, you know, we stay set up, so... Like, literally, from when they came in, once we got a drum sound probably March of 21 guitar sounds drum says we tracked the record live. It's a pretty intense um, setup that we get going, but nothing really moves. So, you know, two years later, that drum set is still set up. The mics are on it, and, you know, in 30, yeah, okay, maybe two hours, me and my engineers can make sure everything's still working. Everything's still patched the right way and, and hit record. And the, it's the drum sound from the record still. So, that also helps a lot with the starting and stopping. You know, we can just always, hey, what are you doing next week? All right, let's go in and let's, let's, re we're going to want to recut this one song or whatever it was, you know, mm -hmm. that's pretty easy. And it's consistent too. Yeah. Yeah.
It's not right. like you're uh, setting up, breaking down, doing it at different times at different studios and different things. Right. And it's just like never quite consistent. <laughs> right. Uh, it's easy to starting and stopping is hard, even with the stuff mm-hmm. staying set up with having to tear down and set back up. It's really hard. You spend a lot of time just kind of getting back and getting your footing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. yeah that yeah. takes time. What was there a a particular vision sonically for the album? Um, we didn't really have those conversations. A lot of the conversations that you normally would have at the onset of a record, mm. we sort of didn't end up having this time because of the sort of the story I was just telling you. Like, we right. just ended up. We were so excited to work. You know, we already had the songs. Right. There's no time for like, what are we doing? What do we, you know, what kind of thing are we doing? So really was more of like an extension of the previous record um and we never really had any conversations about it specifically i certainly had thoughts and I, I know that they did we never really had to have a conversation about it luckily all of our ideas were pretty in line with each other so there was never really any you know headbutting about direction or sonics or anything really and and the writing process of the songs was pretty pretty uh organic as well as you know there's always a little talk about fast songs slow songs you know you want to keep it kind of balanced um but it's sort of it's just sort of landed that way i, I want to say on its own I, I know there was some when we were putting the riff ideas together we definitely you know you don't want to have you know 12 fast songs or 12 heavy slow songs or at least they didn't you know for a metallica record you want to kind of try to mix it up right so mm-hmm. yeah but not really any specific conversations about that that's cool yeah. that's cool um so how do you dave how do you and greg know each other you know the funny thing is i think i've met greg several times over the years uh, briefly yeah. briefly in passing um but but really, it kind of got more into, uh, wasn't it when the Jose thing came up? Yeah, I mean Jim. I mean I, the I Jim knew Root from that. Yeah, Jim Root from Slipknot. I know you know he had. That's when I think maybe the first time we may have sort of met, just mostly in passing. He had a head that we use on the Gray Chapter record. I don't even remember what year that was, but um, that was really we we both were really into mm-hmm. and and it worked great because it was like the perfect thing that wasn't his normal like his overall sound that he does all his chunky rhythm stuff with but for solos and articulate parts and little ornament parts or whatever it was because it was so flag you know clean dirty heavy you know 80s metal whatever it was you know yeah it kind of did a lot of different things really fast mm-hmm. and we both really liked that about it and it was kind of a different sound too from the other stuff that was on that record which we loved i think that's where we first sort of crossed paths and then this the when during i guess this was during the pandemic the jose thing uh james hatfield's had a a Ma, Jose modded Marshall. I, I think he's had it since after the Black album or something. Um, he always mm-hmm. used, I think, Bob's. You know, yeah. Bob has one, and mm-hmm. he's always kind of used Bob's. And they bought one, and it was kind of at the end before Jose um, passed away or whatever. And 
when I first met the guys, I remember I saw it and we tried to use it. It didn't sound very good. And then everyone's all the guys are like, yeah, that thing never really sounded right. And then on this record after that, I remember pulling it out again. I'm like, oh, this thing's got to sound great. I've seen these amps before they're killer. And it kind of just, it was weird. And then I had a lot of time to think about these kinds of things during the pandemic. And I'd called James and said, dude, do you mind if I grab this Jose head and just let me make some phone calls. Let's get to the bottom of this and let's, if it can sound good, let's make it sound good. And that's when I texted you, Dave, about, mm -hmm. you know, oh, remember me and Jim Rude, blah, 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 and we've got this head. I know that you're familiar with these mods, and this thing doesn't make any sense to anybody. And I don't know if you remember it clearly, but it had a bunch of, I like, do. writing, like, little taped-on pieces of paper with sort of directions. Yeah, none of, I like, If you read all the directions, it was kind of like, now I'm more confused than I was before I read the directions. Like, it didn't. There was something yeah. not right. And then I remember you saying like, oh, yeah, something was backwards or whatever. Well, there, there, there was all sorts of weird things with that amp yeah. um, and some broken things. And yeah, uh, one thing that was weird is there was a 200 watt output transformer in it. Right. Which isn't stock to the amplifier. And I'm not sure why it was ever there or I don't know why it was ever put in there. Right. Um, so we changed that. Actually, we changed it yeah. to a 100 watt output transformer one of mine and i went through the circuit and went through everything and you know and i made it sound good <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know right. i didn't really uh it's still the mod it, i didn't sit yeah. there and alter the the thing because it, I, I you know i just made it the best it could sound right you now and and it did sound really good yeah it was good it, and james loved it and that's a that makes a that album is a, a major part of the sound that he had on this last record. I mean, he loved it and uh, it's, it's all over the record. So it became one of the amps that makes up his kind of main rhythm sound. He loves it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Is that the yeah. uh, three in one mod, Dave? Yeah. It's not like massively high gain or anything. It's just, uh, you know, everyone always get, I always say that you always get hung up on that. Uh, you, you know, like, uh, Real guys don't use that much gain, really. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and and Greg knows. It's just yeah. like that is the worst thing part. you could do for a mix or anything. You know, for this, you know, you want more percussiveness and you want more right clean and it'll sound bigger and it'll sound much larger and better yeah. tone and when you start stacking guitars, especially. Yeah, and you know. and like a player like like James, you know. When you get somebody that that is that in tune with what they're doing and and what they're trying to sound like, like if he's mushy to him, I mean he he's pretty uh, particular too. Like if, you know he if it gets mushy at all, he's he's out. You know it's like I can't. You know, what I what I'm doing is not coming out the speakers. It's not. It's too something or you know the low end's woofy and it kind of when I thump it, it mm -hmm. all I hear is move over all the articulate parts and. So he, um, I mean, I often want to put more gain than probably he likes the same thing with Kirk. Um, they both try to go, oh, this is too, whatever. And it's almost getting really too, too dirty. I'm like, Oh, but it sounds, you know, nah, it sounds mean and nasty, <laughs> snarly or whatever. Yeah. So it's always a back and forth, but, but yes, both the, uh, it's interesting sometimes when you get those guys that, you know, especially when they grow up with, 
you know, older style amps where you didn't, you know, the highest gain amp in 1983 was like, it was probably considered a, you know, a clean amp now or something. Yeah. It's like a JC um, made hundred and that doesn't right, really have that right. much gain. You yeah. Know? And that's how they kind of, they grew up with that kind of a, with that feel and they still, they still like it, mm -hmm, you know, they right. still are used to it. So, yeah. What kind of volume are they recording at? What's Pretty loud. Yeah. I mean, it's always a combination of amps. So like, you know, Jay, we always dragged, um, there was the, the Jose, a Mark two C plus plus that he's had forever, a diesel and a, like a wizard. It's kind of like a, you know, like a plexi Marshall kind of a wizard, but with a clon pedal in front of it. Mm -hmm. And those four amps are kind of always running. And then depending on what the song is or whatever, the, the blend between those amps changes. So it's not always four amps at the same time, but depending on what, you know, usually it's three, but, um, and it leans into, you know, there's usually one that's the main thing. And this just adds a little of that and that a little of this. It's always crazy. You hear the sound and you, you like solo the wizard or whatever, right? You're like, Oh, that sounds ridiculous. That doesn't sound good at all. Let's mute that. And you mute that. And it's like, Oh shit. The bottom oh, that, just dropped out, or whatever it was. Yeah. You know, you can't imagine when you listen to it by itself that it's doing what it's doing. It's very, it's an interesting thing that happens. But um, yeah, and, and and again, you know, I'll push if I push the wrong thing. You know, he might be. Oh, you know, I'm losing the the facial thing that I had a minute ago. It sounded more aggressive before, and now it's too boomy or whatever. A lot of that has to do with just the. The balance between the amps and or the mics mm -hmm. i suppose but mm -hmm. yeah but it's quite loud in the amp room we've got <laughs> i don't know how many cabinets we've got probably a, there's probably a dozen cabinets out there that are mic'd up and depending on what heads you're at and what cabinets you're going into but it's you know it could be four really loud heads going out at the same time in the room it gets pretty hairy yeah crushing yeah <laughs> I'm sorry if this is a noob question, but are, are they, is everybody kind of uh, off into their own isolated situation or are they in the same room with, with Lars? When we cut, the, they're all four of them are in the same room, okay. but all the amps are not in, in the room with the drums. This, we've got a really big, I mean, the, where the drums are is actually the room where the guitars are. There's also a vocal within there is bigger than the drum room. Hmm. Um, just like, I don't know why that is, but it's, it's the way it worked out. Um, so all the amps are in another room and we try, you know, we baffle them with big fat foamy guys. There's a little bit of crosstalk here and there, but you don't really get, you don't get any guitar bass really in the, in the drum mics and in the drum room mics every once in a while, the bait, the low end of the bass kind of sneaks in there, but it's kind of cool. So as long as, they're play, as long as they're playing the same song. The <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> The, the, you know, bleed bleeds okay. There's bleeds good there's it, it, bleed got, on as long as they're old, playing the same song. All yeah. sorts, all sorts of old records that we all love and grew yeah. up with. Oh my god! If you solo some of the tracks, it's like, yeah. wow! Listen to that hi hat, Mike. That's got all sorts of guitar in it. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. But it makes it sound alive in a way. It gives it, it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, mistakes yeah. and and excitement and. I mean, I'm one for the classic stuff, so it's you know, tempo variations, mistakes, right. not everything to yeah. the grid. 
it sounds like a real band then you right. know it's just like yeah. and the minute you make it you know be like a uh one of these newer bands you know where you can just right. you, can, you, you can remix the song in a few minutes you can just cut and paste the whole thing up <laughs> move it around right. yeah you know um yep. it just sucks the life out of it yeah, I mean, there's a when you get a you know when you've got four players or five or whatever, there's a when they're interacting, there's a push and pull that creates some of the stuff that makes you feel like it's rocking or it's exciting. I think, yeah, and um, it's really easy to mess that up. You know, you could, sure. yeah, definitely, yeah. yeah. If you've ever heard John Bottom's drums quantized, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah that doesn't work. Beato, I think, did that, and it's just like you listen to it, and you're like, "Oh my god, right? <laughs> that is amazing how it just oh, sucks." The oh life my out fucking of god! Yeah, I, don't, I haven't heard that. I bet that's crazy. Oh yeah, I think Rick Beato did a video where he quantized John yeah. Bonham's drums, and in the that's video cool. you hear just the two versions right next to each other, and and you like listening to that, and you're like, "Holy shit!" <laughs> right? Yeah, just yeah, holy wild. shit. That's just not good. Well, I'm I'm uh, really glad to hear that uh, Metallica is using real amps in, on the album. Um, yeah, because I know live they're they're using fractals. Yeah, or... live they're using fractals, <sighs> but but you know, there's a lot of reasons why they're doing that, and and you know sometimes, especially for them, consistency is more important than the overall sound of something. Mm -hmm. As long as it's the same every day, um it helps them stay grounded and whatever. And that has a lot to do with this is so much more easy for in their, in your, their in-ears and front of house guys. And there's just no surprises when they were using real amps with, you know, speaker cabinets and ISO boxes under the stage or whatever. It's, you know, even though that stuff is in theory, the microphones are mounted or whatever, it, it changes every day. I mean, it changes yeah, every day, even with, with what they're doing with the fractals, but mm -hmm. just the changes are very minimal. You know, the rest of the gear is probably what's changing, but, but it just helps them, um, stay as, you know, as consistent as possible. And then you just make that work, you know? Yeah. 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 I don't, yeah. 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 It doesn't quite, <laughs> doesn't quite sound right to me, but okay. Yeah. I, I'm, I, I, you know, I, I'm not using a fractal, uh, ever because I think it's the best thing, but, uh, I, I get it. I it's get not, it. Yeah. You know, yeah, I get it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I've seen what, you know, what weirdness can happen, but you know, yeah. when there's no sound check, <laughs> you know, right. and they're going to play in front of 60,000 people. It's right. Gonna, right. Know, the first right, chord, right. they know they're going to hear it. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. true. Unless the wrong patch is on and then. Oh. Correct. Yeah. I don't, but I don't, I don't believe, you know, my own personal beliefs in this has, I mean, I understand why this is done and all that. Obviously I deal with a lot of high end customers, customers and clients with rig building and everything but you know there is something to be said for real amps and there's something to be said yeah. for monitors and not in-ears and there's right. something to be said you know for all of that and there's pluses and minuses of both yeah i think if a band plays like a band and they play together i think really like real amps and monitors are a great 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 thing <laughs> <laughs> right because it yeah. sounds exciting when you go see it it just sounds exciting right. quiet stages yeah. now and things like that it just mm, doesn't quite have the same excitement as it once did 
Right. No, I know, you know what you mean. It's, yeah. That's yeah, very true. But then um, again, yeah. I don't think PA sound as good as they used to either, but yeah. Too much digital. Yeah. Yeah. You know. You know, it's like, hey Greg, you gotta mix instead of mixing on the SSL or I think that's what's behind you. Sorry, you yeah. gotta you gotta now mix on a you know, I don't know. You know, pro control digital console or something, right? Like, you know. Which I've I've uh, found myself needing to do, and it's not even. It's, yeah, it's, it's a, a different whole different thing. Workflow, it's a it's different thing. Different, yeah. And you can never push a digital anything digital. Right. Don't push it any. Oh yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not going to be warm. Yeah. Well, it just doesn't. You know, an old an old console you can push the hell out of and it'll distort and it'll distort in a great way. <laughs> Yeah. Well, it's kind of like a guitar. I always thought like once I started, you know, grew up as a guitar player, but once I got into this stuff and really started to understand consoles and was able to work on, you know, a one, like a Neve console or something mm-hmm. or an SSL, it's not unlike a guitar amp in mm-hmm. that it has, it has a sound and you have to dial up that sound on an analog console you have to find the spot, you know, the sweet spot where mm-hmm. the level is, this is what this con, this is when this console sounds best. And you have to kind of find that and mix into it and around it much like a guitar. Ca- yeah. It's like, guitar, yeah. I think, yeah. Like where a digital console that does not, you, 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 it's more like a stop sign that you have to try to avoid. You don't want to ever hit, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's like on a Neve console, you have your, you know, your rotary uh, switch uh, that's, you know, adjusting the gain and stuff, and there, there's a sweet spot right there, you know. And then you got right. your fader, but there's a sweet spot where that, you know, yeah. the snare mic. Well, it sounds good when that is right here, yeah. and it's just breaking up. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. And then it's exciting. Yeah. So, Ryson Bison has a question. Thanks for the super chat. What kind of speakers uh, do Kirk and James use, and how many tracks do they go down to when tracking guitars? Um, most of these cabinets are loaded with Celestians. Most of them are the ones we use. Most of them are older Celestians. There's, I think, there's maybe one or two cabinets has some vintage thirties that are kind of newer, but um, most of them are older, like greenback i know there's a couple of like late 70s blackback cabinets that sound amazing most of them are 30 watts 30 watts some of the g12 h some are m's just just definitely varies there's a couple of slant cabinets that we use um there's definitely a couple mesa cabinets though that have the vintage 30s and it's it's always a mix and a match and you know yeah you know at this point i I mean i probably can go look at the cabinet and say oh i think that's the that's there's a cabinet that's got 20 watt celestians 25 mm-hmm. in 20 watt 4 by 12 in an orange cabinet that sounds killer um for some stuff oh the it's orange cabinets the are, can be cool with celestians shoved in them and stuff yeah 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 really that cool. cabinet sounds really good mm-hmm. um so it's mostly older celestians um and then as far as like how many tracks i mean you know like i said i think with james we've had always had four amps rolling but i did not always all four amps are on and then you know each cabinet each cabinet has at least two mics on it i don't always use both mics so there's usually a con- usually a condenser and, and a dynamic on them depending on the cabinet and what I'm, we're doing with it sometimes it's just that the condenser goes away but uh it'd be four tracks of guitar that's recorded 
the four the amps go onto separate tracks and then i can always blend them there mm, we tried right. before trying to blend it on the way in which i kind of like the committing part of that <clears throat> that's how i've done other records like slipknot sometimes i'll do that but uh I've, i learned after working with these guys they might later want to make an adjustment and then if you've committed to something oh, okay i'm gonna we either play it again or we gotta reamp it and rebalance it and so it's best to have it um sort of separate where you could do the same thing and kirk kirk very similar for the rhythms very similar for solos kirk usually had three had like a rectifier and a really great 100 watt marshall master volume like a 79 that just sounds insane and then he's got a randall i can't not remember the name it's like one of his uh, like a kirk hammett model i can't remember the name of it that we sometimes use that's got a really great honky mid-range did you say on the record that the b deluxe and then uh, and then some sort of jmp marshall was used for on tracking of? yeah for 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 kirk's rhythms we used a a 50 watt jmp master volume like a 79 and a B deluxe. Some, sometimes it was the deluxe, and sometimes it was the, you know, that Kirk has like a old Freeman head that's got some weird knobs on it that aren't labeled. It's old. Yeah, there's a weird. Popular. There's an older one. One is a yeah. a JJ one hundred that's up there, and I think an older yeah. B, an older B one hundred's up there too. Yeah, yeah. So just sort of depending on what you know where he was, what he wanted to do, and whatever. Right. Um. Yeah. Yeah. So. Cool. But as far as like double tracking, I'm not sure if his question was about double tracking or not. He, there's always James always double tracks his guitar. Kirk doesn't doesn't double track his often. But James's double track sometimes will end up, you know, coming on and off during a song or something like maybe it pops in on the choruses up the center or something like that. So it's yeah, not cool. a ton of double tracking, mostly single. So uh Greg, how did you even get into this? I mean, I grew up a guitar player. I mean, you know, grew up in Los Angeles. I loved music ever since I was a, you know, single digits. Um, I think when I was a, when I was eleven, I sort of decided I thought I wanted to play guitar, and I had a very very kind grandmother who uh, made sure that I was able to figure out how to learn how to do that. And then, you know, my my mom has a musical background she was a singer which before she was married and my dad also was a big music lover he's more into like country stuff my dad also played a little guitar and some banjo and stuff so it's sort of always around music and and i just sort of fell in love with sort of you know first stuff beatles stones etc and then kind of you know I'm, I'm the right age to be like a kiss kid you know 1977 sort of discovering that and thought that was a great idea and uh, really got into it especially like in junior high high school and that's sort of just what i did I was always in bands loved it um as soon as i was out of high school um more bands figured out how to get in a band that's you know with somebody that knew how to get gigs at the troubadour or the whiskey or whatever when i was 18 um so sort of always did it and got a i was in a band called rhino bucket in the late 80s mm -hmm. um, i remember yeah and uh me and uh, a friend of mine george who was the singer guitar player of that band got lucky enough to convince the people at warner brothers to give us uh, money to make a couple records so that's really where it started 
you know, we toured a bunch. We never really broke, but uh, it was an awesome experience. And so the first record, the first Rhino Bucket record we did, I always was the guy like making the demos. I always was freaky about tone and whatever, just naturally. And I always figured out how to make four track. We had a little four track cassette recorder. Um, the first record we did, we got really lucky to get a, a very, very young Brendan O'Brien was the engineer on that record. Wow. And at that point, like at that point, Brendan's discography was had like three things on it. You know, <laughs> the Black Crows. He did the first Black Crows record before that, and not much else before that. Um, so it was really we got really lucky and that guy was kind of like a bit of an eye opener thing for me like this guy knows how to work all this stuff that i had no way you know back nowadays if you're a kid you know you know what a, you know what an 1176 is you know what an ssl is because you've got plugins right but in 1987 <laughs> or nine or whatever it was like you walk into a recording studio you don't even know what a compressor is i mean you have, it's you just don't know um right. so to see somebody like he just knew how to do everything and make it sound great. And he also would be like, when I was working on a part or something, he'd like, oh, hey, what, let me see the guitar for a second. What if you tried something like this? You know, he'd pick up the guitar and play. And it was kind of like, ding, like, hey, yeah, this guy is a guitar player, but he also knows how to do all this other stuff. This is interesting. Mm. And, you know, went on to that record. And the second record, we worked with a guy named Terry Manning in Memphis who, um, you know, had worked on a bunch of ZZ Top records. He worked on some Zeppelin records. I mean, he's, he worked, he was a staff engineer at Stax in the 60s. Um, he had his own place in Memphis and he was like super, super generous um, with taking the time to like answer any questions or tea, like, but even ask us, hey, you want to help me? I got a comp of vocal. I'm like, what is that? <laughs> like, I'm going to take you, sang the song four times. We're going to get the best lines. And when I tell you I want 16, you patch this from here, you go here. Uh, old school, literally old school comping, you know. And like when we were getting guitar sounds, he was kind of a nut about guitar amps and stuff. He had an insane collection of really great guitar amps. And that's when I really started to get like speaker specific and head specific. And what, where are you putting the mic? Why are you putting it there? Why did you go move that? What happens when you move it? Because I don't listen, you know. And it just, again, he was super generous. And that, definitely that experience was like I, I still love being in a band and i love performing and i love writing songs and, and touring was fun but a couple of years after that and things sort of never really took off for us and the music business sort of was changing in general and sort of the nirvana nevermind record broke and we were like a hard rock band from la this was kind of no one was really that interested i, I i'm not sure that we were all that great either but that's another <laughs> that's another interview um but but um it seemed like the writing was on the wall and we had a couple of rough tours at the end i was like man i got i can't i don't see where this is i didn't no longer could see where it was going but i could see like i really liked making those records i thought i was i thought i loved playing the guitar which i do and i still do but at that time, I was like, I think maybe I like this other thing a little bit better. Like, I want to record the guitar. I want to do that. And uh, had a couple of, you know, ideas of how to do that. And the first couple ones didn't work out. And then I finally, after talking to some people, I was like, someone's like, you just got to work your way. Like Terry Manning, for instance, he would tell a story. Like, he used to, he's like, was making coffee and sweeping floors. 
at Stacks and whatever it was, 1967 or whatever it was. And like the engineer got sick and, you know, Otis Redding is showing up in, you know, in an hour or whatever it was. I was like, Terry, you know how to work this? Yeah, sure. And boom, now Terry Manning's making a, you know, a classic R&B record out of Memphis. And that story sort of, you know, into my head. It's like, you just got to figure out how to be, you got to learn, you got to be good, and you got to figure out how to be, be there when somebody needs something. And so my idea was to get a job as a runner at a studio. And I, I first got a, a job. What was the name of that track record in North Hollywood? I think I remember yeah. track record. Right, right, yeah. And I was I worked there for like a couple weeks, and and I really I've quickly realized like, oh, this is the right thing, but this is the wrong place. Oh. This is like they're making R and B records here, they're making hip hop records here. Not that I don't like that music, but that wasn't what I thought I was going to be really great at, or really wanted to do. It's like where are they making the records that? I love and sound city was one of the studios that was on my radar. There's a couple of them and, uh, call them not hiring. Blah, blah, blah. Again, call, I would call them like every other week. And I called them one, like one day and it's raining in LA and the studio manager, Siobhan, it's like, Oh, um, yeah, we're the, the parking lots flooded, but you know, we, so I think we're going to have an opening that you come, come by tomorrow or something okay so i came by the next day for like a little interview walked in where she's interviewing me she was awesome and this is like one of those moments like oh something good happened uh you know joe barisi i'm sure dave mm -hmm. you know joe right yeah so i know joe from early early days of rhino bucket he the, the way that we met was weird. Like he, a friend of mine that worked at Westlake, a friend of actually the singer from Rhino Bucket, George, his name was Bill Molina. He's also a really successful engineer producer, still working, still out there. He was, he was, had an engineering gig at Westlake in, in LA. And he was like an assistant or something. And it was like Christmas time one year. And they gave him like, Oh, you have like four free days, you know, during the Christmas break, you do whatever you want. And he said, hey, Greg, you know, why don't you and George come in and let's do some demos? Great. So we went in to do some demos, and he knew Joe because Joe was now starting to engineer some stuff, and Joe worked at Westlake. And Joe came by to help Bill because Bill didn't really know how to work everything just yet. So that's when I first met Joe. And then Joe would come see Rhino Bucket play once in a while, and we sort of became light friends. But we knew each other. And when I was in Siobhan's office at Sound City – Joe Barisi walked out of Studio B and saw me and said, oh, dude, Greg, what are you doing here, man? I'm like, oh, I'm interviewing for a runner gig. And he looks at Siobhan and says, Siobhan, you should hire this guy. He's awesome. <laughs> so she did. There you go. And, you know, it was definitely, it was like, oh, there it is. There's, that's the first little, like, snuck in or whatever you want to call it. I, you know, I worked there. I worked my tail off. I was like, if I'm going to clean toilets and make coffee, it's going to be the cleanest toilet and the best coffee in the city. So I just hustled. And, uh, you know, Garth Garth Richardson was doing records there. We hit it off. And uh, George Draculius, who I s sort of knew from the Rhino Bucket days a little bit indirectly, but we knew each other. Met Jim Scott, Sylvia Massey, all these people. I was as a runner. And then 
you know, whenever I had a chance to go in and learn stuff, I'd go in the control room when there wasn't a session or something and try to figure stuff out, write down lists of questions. And then the same thing happened. One day, I think it was a Cheryl Crow. Cheryl Crow was like working on her second record and something happened and the assistant couldn't be there. And the engineer who I knew was like, man, you know, Studio B, right? You know that patch band? I'm like, yeah. He goes, Shimon, could I, could I get Greg in here? We need, we need somebody and Jeff could make it in today or whatever. So now I'm sitting in a control room making a, helping them make a Cheryl Crow record. Kind of like, whoa, crazy. And it just kind of went on from there. And then you know, months later, Rick Rubin's in Studio A making Johnny Cash records with Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers as the band. And they, and Rick, you know, Rick was kind of a, Tall, that's a big project with a lot of players and it's pretty intense so they wanted two assistants so was, oh greg why don't you be the second assistant in there so now i'm in there Great. and then like i said i kind of knew rick a little bit from the rhino bucket days we never worked together but we'd cross paths several times and he kind of was like i think he recognized me we never really talked about it he kind of like definitely gave me a second look like is that the guy oh and we just kind of hit it off, and then when he would come in, he would like, "Oh, is, look, I want to have Greg as the as the assistant." So I started doing that, and it just kind of goes on from there. I, I taught myself Pro Tools, or that Bill, my friend Bill Molina, actually was part of that whole endeavor. But I saw Pro Tools was pretty new at that time for a rock studio. It was very new. Um, no one was, not very many people were using it yet. It was very, you know, ah, Pro Tools. Right. Um, especially at Sound City, you bring anything digital in that building. It was, it was, yeah. <laughs> people would melt. Yeah. But right. um, but I saw, I saw something in, like, what guys were doing with Pro Tools. and like, this is a cool – there's something there. That, that's, that could be useful. I didn't, I didn't realize it would do what it did, but I thought I should learn it. And I yeah. saved up enough money to get a little rig and learned it. And then, you know, next thing you know, I'm – helping rick comp vocals on a chili peppers record a couple of years later i mean it just sort of like all sort of just unfolds you know yeah just that's yeah. great uh this is a great comment from uh chris rapier he says hey greg don't know if you remember me but i worked with you at sound city as a runner yes. in 96 97 really happy for your success you deserve it i think i owe you 80 bucks too <laughs> <laughs> i remember chris that's crazy I was going to uh, say that that was a long time ago. Look at those dates. Holy cow. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Wow. Wow. It's so, it's so funny when you, when you're talking about all these studios and you talked about track record and everything, you know, I, you know, I started in the business, uh, you know, 87, 88 as a, right. as a delivery guy for Andy Brower's studio rentals. Okay. Right. And, and, and during that time, you know, during that heyday from say that to, 88 to 91 maybe i did that part of it or somewhere yeah. 90 i it was that and then i moved yeah. on to doing it it snowballed from there but right. uh i just remember all these studios so i just right. remember them fondly and well i remember delivering we, gear to uh bob rock at one-on-one -on -one studios when the black album was being done oh right sure yeah <laughs> we rented some heads i think we rented heads from brower oh probably first record at, at Holly, we were at Hollywood Sound. We doing overdubs at Hollywood Sound. Remember that over on Selma there? Yeah, yeah, sure. Over by Sound Factory, yeah, yeah. We were a red, a red Mar hundred watt Marshall head that sounded killer. <laughs> was it a Lee Jackson mod in that amp? It probably was. I think yeah. it was. I think I remember yeah. that. Amp. I mean, at that time, I didn't know a whole lot about anything, but um, yeah, but yeah, 
Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, no. It's, 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 yeah, it's funny. It's just funny. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I miss all those spots. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Great studios. A lot of them. Freddie Forbes. Hey guys, first live chat I've caught. Thank you both for doing this. I listen every week, and from someone who owns Freeman Amps, Dave, what you do for customer service is extraordinary and sells amps. So thank you. Well, I try really hard because every single fucking day I'm inundated with. I am like crazy person and decide to do all the customer service for Friedman, uh, which is uh, maybe dumb. But so out uh, of the three thousand IRXs you got, how many emails do you think? You oh, got? I don't even know. That's impossible. <laughs> it's an email box. Just you know, you clear it out and then it fills up and clear it out and it fills up, clear it up and fills out. Wow. But. I mean, if you know, if anything has to be facilitated or parts sent or things, I hand that off to someone. But I never see the point of doing it another way because the person that's answering the email can't answer the question, and then they have to ask me anyway in an email, and then I have to type the answer back to that person in an email, and then they have to relay yeah. that to the customer. Well, at that point, I should have just answered the customer. I mean, just, I mean, it, I get yeah. used to doing it. I, you know, sit there in the morning with coffee and just look at the emails and then bang my head at the table on the table a few times after I am right. like, oh my God, <laughs> really? <laughs> hey Dave, any update from the, uh, customs thing with Justin Hawkins? Oh no. Uh, no, not at all. Actually. I, I supposedly had a claim going, but. I haven't heard from them yet, so I'm going to have to bring that back up the first of the week with them. Okay. Never ship anything to England anymore. <laughs> Since Brexit and they became their own entity, right. it is an utter nightmare. And, uh, you know, they have their own customs. They have their own yeah. everything now. And, and it just seems like it's just a shit show. Oh, that's horrible. I sent an amp to Justin Hawkins. And um, it got there. His guy called FedEx and said, okay, so I see it's in customs, and it's going to clear, I assume. I haven't heard anything. Is there anything I need to do? Oh, no, it should clear in a few days. Well, the next contact to FedEx is, oh, we're sending it back to you here. Ugh. And I'm like, uh and I called him. I go, it shouldn't come back. Don't send it back. You know, like, oh, it's too late. It's already oh, has already left. I go, well, no one's ever contacted me. No one's ever contacted my the customer. And what on earth am I going to get charged for this amp to come back to me? Right. I had a special rate going over. It wasn't that much, $175 maybe to ship the amp. On the way back... They sure as shit charged me seven hundred. Oof. Yeah, and and you know, and 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 not only that, uh, when it got back, we opened the box up. We the first thing we notice is the amps upside down in the box, and then we notice all the screws are out of the back panel. That just doesn't fall out the the no. back wood panel that goes on the back of the amp, and then also only one chassis screw is in it. And all the rest of the screws are in the bottom of the box. And the chassis has just been flopping around in the head box in there. Right. They took it apart 
and didn't put it back together and just threw it back in the box and shipped it back. Yikes. And I'm like, what the fuck? Yeah. Yeah. It's unbelievable. Unbelievable. Next time I'm going to pay the duty. So, you know, and then if I have to ship to England again, it's just like, now nah, I'll pay the duty and then bill it back to the customer. Yeah. Because then they'll just automatically bill my account for it. Uh, the joys of shipping. Um, so, Greg, I don't have any problems. I've shipped amps all over the world for years. Never once has ever anyone returned out of that's... hundreds of amps, hundreds and hundreds of amps. Yeah, that sucks. Yeah. Um, how is it working with the chili peppers? It's was always awesome with those guys. I mean, I've, I've done a couple different projects with them um as early as uh the californication record which was mostly vocals i worked on on that record and then i did a couple sat in on a few sessions covering for jim scott on the oh my god what was the name of that record stadium arcadium the one after not same the one after uh californication oh, and man. then i did the full record the one where Frashante wasn't in the band um or one of the two that they did um with uh Dave Navarro. Um, no, no, no not with Navarro. No, with Josh. Oh, with Clint Josh. Clint, Clint yeah, yeah. Um, that was super fun and crazy and cool. Um recorded a ridiculous amount of songs with that. But uh you know, again, talk about real bands, right? So you get those dudes in a room, you get you know, Flea and Chad and whether it's John or, or Josh or whoever, you know. I mean, of, even with, you know, Anthony singing live a lot of the times, I mean, what's coming off the floor, you know, is like most of the record. It's kind of crazy. It doesn't happen that much anymore, I don't think. It's a mm. shame. But, I mean, those records especially, you're just cutting that thing live. It's, and it's ridiculous what they could kick out. Right. Mm -hmm. Capture the moment. Yeah, it's kind of it's always that that kind of stuff's always super inspiring to me. Where it's you can't believe how little you've done, how how like how much little work you've done, and what's coming out these speakers is like already. This is something I'm listening to the radio. What the hell, you know? It's it, that kind of stuff is always still blows my mind when I hear it that way. I love that. Yeah. yeah. Um. Do you do you ever mix with headphones and what monitors do you use? I do um a Proac Proac Studio Reference 100s are still my main um monitor. Um but in the last like handful of years like so many people I think listen I mean obviously people listen on their phones too. Um but so many people listen to records on headphones I I believe more than used to. Um sort of pay a little more attention to that than I ever did in the past, probably the last like seven or eight years, maybe. So I do spend some time in headphones. I like the, I have a bunch of pairs of the blue, what are they called? Mixfies, Mixfy headphones. Yeah. They're sort of a All powered right. thing. <clears throat> Those feel, I know them pretty well and they feel pretty natural to me. I rarely have any surprises if I, work a while I, mean, I remember back in the early days i would try to mix in headphones and uh it was always a disaster <laughs> you just get it into it go to the mains and all of a sudden oh my god what the hell this is what did i do whack. 
<laughs> yeah. But uh, I, whether the headphones have became have gotten better or whether it's just my perspective on it has changed or something. But uh, yeah, I like to work in headphones a little bit. It's easier sometimes to uh, really get into the weeds, you know. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I can, I can imagine, especially when you have so many layers of things. Sometimes, right? Sometimes yeah. you can hear things, just the the nuances of things, better when the speaker is yes. like, right, just boom, right on your ears. You know, right. you're like, oh, now I hear that delay or that thing that's going right. on there. Okay, yeah. too loud. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and do you do what everybody else does and just? After you're all done, you go into the car and listen to how it sounds inside the car. Uh, I don't do a car test that much anymore. I certainly used to do car tests. I mean, that was like the thing, right? Mm -hmm. Take that one. At one point, when I was, you know, Rick used to do that a lot. I remember at one point asking the assistant engineer at the village, like, "Is there a way we could run a line from the control room into the car so that?" <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and i'll just i'm gonna go in the car because you'd have to like you'd have this like cd days right yeah you do that you print the mix then you'd have to finalize the cd which whether that i don't know if that means anything to anybody but i remember it i remember kind of like have to finalize the cd take five minutes and you take the cd out you know two minutes in you're like ah oh, the, the snare drum's not loud enough you know go back it's like right. can i just you know put the chorus on loop and i'll go in the car now and listen to it with somebody but uh, I don't think that ever actually happened. But uh, I know I remember asking about it. But uh, these days, I sort of sometimes not like I used to though. It used to be like part of the the daily ritual. Mm. Now it's more at the end. You know, maybe you're checking mastering or something. You got the whole here's the whole record. Let's you know, take a drive up the highway and listen to twelve songs. In, you know, in the stack and the spacings like the way you wanted them and see how it feels. Yeah. Now it's like, uh, does it sound good on my phone? Yeah, that's a whole other thing, right? Yeah, yeah. I do often check. I don't check on the phone, but but I do. Um, I'll sometimes broadcast stuff to like a laptop or something. Just to yeah, yeah, see. laptop or yeah. An iMac or some something. Yeah, like just like what does it sound like over there? And like, you, you don't want to make too many big decisions when you're doing that kind of thing because uh, you know that sort of thing. You know, two years from now. That, that thing's not going to sound like that and yeah. some other laptop that sounds it, it, different but um but it's, it's good to like, just kind of keep yourself grounded it's always like do you hear the bass still right yeah yeah you know that's always the the bass is always the thing it's like right you yeah, know i still use do you still i still hear the grind bands. of the bass do you still hear the notes of the bass you know right i i mean you can see them in the back there i have a pair of ns10 still that yeah. i always have i don't spend a lot of time on them um, but I do spend a chunk of time and certainly like before I'm done, like when I feel like I'm really close to a mix mm -hmm. with my pro acts and or headphones, I'll go, I'll go to the NS tens and sometimes I'll sit in front of them. Sometimes I'll sit on the couch away from them and just like, is anything poking out weird or is anything lost now? Can I still hear, you know, wow. the often the NS tens are very revealing for that. That's, yeah. Uh... Also, if you get the bass right on the NS tens, it seems yes. to it seems to translate everywhere really nice. Definitely, you know? like yeah. If uh, it, it, you know, years ago, if you if you had mixed on a set of Genelex or something that has no kind of a scoop speaker, kind of it was always mm -hmm. like 
Yeah, uh, that didn't translate well at all. Now did it? Right. If you right, if you spend too much time on a big speaker or a you know, super high fi yeah. speaker, you you know that has a really good low end, and you're you you hear bass because most of the bass is living under eighty hertz or something, and it sounds oh that sounds killer. And then you go to a small speaker, and that speaker doesn't go that low. Yeah, you get that's where the surprises start. Vacant. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, super chat from Alex S. Thanks. Uh, hey guys, do you rec do recording studios have tech guys there around the clock to fix amps, etc. When artists are recording, or does uh, Dave get the call at three a.m.? <laughs> Dave uh, gets the call. Dave gets the call. I, I would get the call if it's a tube amp, probably. Yeah. But, uh, and yeah, if it's an emergency and a big record, but you know, God, there's not that many. I hate to say it, there's just not that many records being made. You know, it's, right. it's not like it once was. Um, I mean, I imagine even, you know, it used to be large studios like, you know, West Lakes and everything had that, you know, amazing tech department and everything right. uh, that were that were always there. Yeah. And uh, and, uh, you know, that doesn't happen really these days either. You know, right. Yeah. I know um, over at um, I still call it A&M, but I know it's not Henson. a &M. And Henson, yeah, they still have a pretty, uh, pretty thriving tech department there, and a couple of the other studios, uh, East West, yeah, there's always somebody there. Um, but yeah, some of the other studios, you know, here this is you know not a commercial place, so that we have like local. There's a tech that lives you know an hour up the road or whatever. There's an amp guy that they know that is close if we need something really fast. Um, but yeah, the days of of the around the clock tech departments are definitely well less is needed you know less is needed yeah. now uh, you know in the days of tape <clears throat> machines and yeah everything else that were you know precarious and uh, yeah i mean a tape machine right the amount of of, of maintenance and work and, that you had daily stuff you did with a tape machine you know, I haven't touched the Pro Tools rig in the machine room here in like a year or something. You know, it's like, it's not, yeah. it it doesn't really need that kind of care um, where you need like a tech staff to yeah. always, I mean, obviously there's a big need console here and at times things go south and it's always tragic because we have to get, you know, Bruce from LA to come up mm -hmm. and, you know, help us and, or whatever it is, but it, you know, you do the best you can. Yeah. having yeah. backup stuff is sort of being more of a a thing these days you know backup modules backup this backup you get two of everything if you try to yeah biggest problem with the neve console is it not getting used right yes and then the, the switches all of a sudden it's like getting crusty and then eventually right. they well if you don't use them enough they just will stop working period yeah and, yeah, and you have to replace them <laughs> yeah wow so the more you use them the better they get well, it's like if you don't yeah. drive, like if you own a Ferrari and you don't drive a Ferrari, you know, you just leave it in the in in the garage, you know. Uh, I was just talking to uh, a former studio owner that a friend of mine. He was he has a Ferrari now, and uh, he sold his studio to Stevie Wonder. Uh, <laughs> you know, Sphere Studios. Did you ever? Yeah, have a chance to work there. Francesco. I've never I never worked there when it was Sphere, but I know what you're oh, talking yeah, about. When yeah, Francesco that owns Sphere. Yeah, he wound up selling it to Stevie Wonder. Oh wow! Um, he's like, I didn't really want to sell it, 
And, you know, and then it was, uh, his wife said, well, just ask some crazy number for it. And he asked a crazy number and they said, yes, (laughs) I got to sell it now. (laughs) Yeah. When the uh, the crazy number is taken. Yeah. But yeah, you know, he was, he was always a very anal retentive maintenance hound, you know? So like everything worked perfectly at, at the studio. And he was always really like very important to him that everything worked right great studio right, yeah. to work in but um yeah he said if you, you know like ferrari he's like you know if you don't drive it it's gonna just not work anymore it's gonna stop it's gonna you know the let's sit in the garage it's just something on it is not gonna work now you know something's gonna be hmm. oxidized or yeah, you know sticky, same thing yeah. with the consoles yeah Wow. Any any switch, even amps, anything, anything that doesn't get used a lot will oxidize eventually, and like it's not making good contact, or it needs to be cleaned, or it needs contact cleaner, or it needs right stuff. Uh, Coxie fifty one fifty, Dave. Any official Friedman merch coming? Yeah, I'll set up a Teespring thing shortly. You know, you've been saying that a long time. I know, I've been saying that a long time. <laughs> It's very low on my priority list. Right, <laughs> so, it'll happen one day, this yeah. decade. Um, shameless plug for Motor City Guitar. Yeah, hey. yeah, for sure. Um, Motor City is awesome. Let's see. Um, so now you're on a break right now, Greg. Right, you're just mm-hmm. in between projects. In between projects, yeah. That's yeah. cool. That's always a good thing, right? yes very much yeah so tell us about i have to know about um working with black sabbath and and slip oh right yeah i mean the sabbath thing was awesome with the you know i grew up sabbath is like one of the early like what the hell is this kind of moments for me um so the idea working on that record was really interesting to me um and it was, you know, you always get surprised when you, you sort of have an idea what certain people might be like or whatever. It was awesome. You know, it, it was too bad that, that, you know, we couldn't have all four guys there, but, um, but it still was awesome. And, you know, working with Tony was crazy. Seeing what he does and how he does it was kind of crazy. Geezer Butler was, you know, I thought Geezer Butler was the best bass player in, heavy music ever and then i worked with him and realized that i i was underestimating his abilities you know wow, it yeah, was just amazing. like everything everything i mean everything that he played a sounded amazing and b sounded oddly like geezer butler was one of definitely one of those he just picks it up and it's fucking that sounds like yeah, it was, i don't know how he does that there's a certain weight to his playing so like yeah and he's doesn't really make i swear to god i think he I, tracking that whole record I, swear, I think he hit two wrong notes the whole time i don't know what and he doesn't th- he thinks he's horrible you know it's it's like a funny little oh you know i don't know if i played that right it's like it was amazing what are you talking about yeah leave it alone it's great <laughs> yeah um and ozzy you know i thought it was gonna be crazy and out of control with i it was awesome he was funny he was charming he went in there he sang when we tracked um it's saying good um it's just 
uh, it was kind of a party the whole time. It was just fun, and every day was you know light and seeing those guys um, you know interact with each other, not just in a musical way. That was its own crazy thing, um, but seeing them interact on a personal level, joking with each other, making fun of each other all the time and stuff. It just it was awesome. It was totally awesome. And then just you know being able to listen to that stuff back you know, knowing what it was, it was was kind of a crazy experience for sure. And, and, um, you know, Rick was a little taken by it too, because he's a huge fan and, and, you know, it was just, it was pretty, pretty insane situation over there. So what's that phone call like when you get that phone call, like, Hey, we're going to be working with black Sabbath. Were you like freaking? Yeah. And it's kind of like one of those calls, like, it's like, Hey, or, you know, you kind of know it's in. I kind of knew it was in the works, but no one, you know, no one's talking about. Okay, what's your schedule? You know, for this month and that month, and you want to be like, well, depends on what it is, right? You know, but but you know, and it, you, without saying it, because if it's Black Sabbath, I'm available. You know, it's it's not. I'll make room. Everything <laughs> is go- going on on pause if it's that. But you just, I just, but I remember getting the call. I think I was working. I working on a Slipknot record at that time? I forget. I remember where I was, but I was definitely like, I I want to work on that, and I will make it work. I was working on the Metallica through the Never, um, project. It was like a movie that we did. I like, was 2012 or something. 2011 mm. we made it, and I was like, I will figure out a way to make it happen. Just. Let me know where I need to be and when you want me there, and I'll do it. And that's pretty much how it happened. Now, was there a lot of pre-production before that where they were? I was not part of the pre-production of that. I know they did a bunch. I mean, they came in quite well prepared. Um, it wasn't really a, there wasn't really a lot of like writing on the floor kind of stuff. Most of the stuff, there's a couple of songs that there's kind of that weird sort of acoustic song that we sort of put together. I don't remember the name of it now, but um, also some of the names of those songs change from when I worked on it, and then it gets uh, Andrew Sheps mixed it, and then it gets and then they changed a couple. Of, I remember when I got the record, I was like, "What is that?" I don't. Oh, they record more stuff now. Like, oh, it's the other. It's that song, and they changed the name of it or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. So there wasn't a lot of. I didn't wasn't part of the pre production, but um, and I don't remember when they came in remember if they had already rehearsed with um you know the the drummer from uh, rage against the machine plays on that record mm, right um i don't i don't remember if they had worked if they had rehearsed much with him before that i don't remember that's a little while ago now they must have done some Great but it was drama. definitely a little let's figure it out on the floor kind of thing with overall with him um but again the three the dudes in the room, Ozzy in the booth, playing top to bottom songs, you know, take three, take four. All right, we got it. Let's move on to the next song. Yeah. Pretty, like a band. Yeah. 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 yeah that was, the... I think when we first, like on the first day, they like, you know, broke out the, like they're all, I get sounds, 
you know, got a drum sound, got a bass sound, a geezer, got a guitar sound. Okay, we're good. Let's try. Let's let's get our headphones together and like, oh, let's play, you know, War Pigs or something. Where <laughs> they're like rocking on War Pigs, and I'm sitting in the control room, but cranking the fucking Pro Axe, just being like, the 16 year old me right now is fucking freaking out, <laughs> right? <laughs> right? Totally. It was like yeah. totally like this is just. If you would have told me in you know 1978. While I was, you know, on my skateboard on my way to the record store to get the Never Say Die record or whatever came out in 1978, that, you know, one day, you know, 40 years from now, whatever the hell it was, you're going to be working, you're going to be helping these guys make a record that would have been like, get the fuck out of here. Ridiculous. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So it was pretty pretty insane i feel that i feel that way a lot of times too with like people i've worked with over the years you know eddie van right. halen and things like that yeah I remember totally the kid from 1986 or 84 85 yeah. that's seeing him at you know D- detroit joe lewis arena uh, i'm like he's standing in front of me right now just ripping my face off <laughs> right he's exactly. guitar playing and i'm like going oh my god <laughs> This is awesome. <laughs> it's crazy. I mean, I, I yeah. had some weird. I've worked. I was lucky enough to work on a Johnny Cash records. I worked on a Neil Diamond record, a couple mm-hmm. of Neil Diamond records with Rick. Um, and I was would growing up, my dad would listen to Johnny Cash and Neil Diamond all the time. And now I'm like, this is like the the nine year old me or the ten year old me. Like, yeah. I think my dad listened to the live Neil Diamond. At the, what is it called? One hot August night or something, right? Mm-hmm. I think. I think I must have heard that record like 500 times one year. I, it was like the only thing that played in the house and in his car and whatever. So when, when I got the call to do that, I was like, not only does it sound awesome, I probably know most of his back catalog better than anybody. <laughs> like, I'm the yeah. guy, I'm the guy for this gig. It was pretty funny. And being able to like, you know, you know, John, he'd be like, Hey Greg, can you bring me a cup of tea? You know, it's just like, okay, that was weird. You know, definitely those moments are just like, this is crazy. How did I end up here? Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Super, yeah. super grateful that anything like that could even, that, that I would even think of it, let alone be doing it. It was kind of nutty. Yeah. It's, 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 it is special when you have that connection to your youth and then, then you wind up working with that person later. It's so surreal. It's so weird. Yeah. It is. It's, yeah. it's, you're like, what the heck's going on? right yeah 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 i can imagine um so um i was curious i had a question for you uh but oh yeah the the question came up what you th- you mentioned the stones that you grew up in the stones what do you think of this new stones album i like it i, I haven't i haven't uh, taken a a deep deep dive into it um like i know i will um you know Charlie Watts not being around is, you know, it's, but what are you going to do? You know, he's not here. And, yeah. and, and Wyman too. Yeah. 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 So I still, anytime he, that Mick Jagger wants to sing, I want to listen. And anytime Keith Richards thinks about picking up a guitar, I'd like to see what, I'd like to hear what happens. And um, I think it was, I think it's fun. They're yeah. still making records. I thought it was good. I mean, at least yeah. a little bit I've heard. I haven't deeply heard it either. Yeah. yeah, uh, yeah. I I thought it was good. And you know, I don't know. I don't I think I think Andrew did a, Andrew Watt did a pretty good job. Um yeah. uh, oh, his son played his son played for it? 
Uh, Andrew Watt, the producer. Oh, okay. I didn't. No relation. No, no relation. relation. Okay, I thought oh, not no. Charlie Watt, not Watts. Oh, okay. No, gotcha. no. Uh, um, yeah. So I didn't know how I was going to feel about that with him doing it. Mm. Right. Because I I don't know how I felt about the Aussie records that he did. Right. Uh, although they were good songs, he can write a song. I think. Yeah. A good songwriter. I don't know. You know, I think I think you talked about this before too when you were maybe you were going to work with the Scorpions or something and Oh, yeah. yeah. And mm-hmm. uh and you 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 just like oh, I want to make it sound like the old Scorpion, you know, the old the sound, right. you know. Yes. And um I think you mentioned that and and uh I don't know. I think there's a there's a grittier uh less produced Ozzy Osbourne that could yes could be brought I out and I think that would be cool you yeah. know and, and and you know you know like early Black Sabbath records you know this, this is raw and gritty it is as know, raw as it cool. gets yeah. oh yeah and, very and, raw. and I'd almost like to hear that again you know or something I would love to raw yeah, like I, that you know what I mean yeah. Yes, totally. But and it's it's a trick though, because I've I've been in this situation before many times. It, it, the Scorpions, your I remember talking to you about that. Yeah. Um, that record ended up not not really happening for me because of the pandemic. But um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. But but even if it would have, I I, re, I know that I wouldn't have been able to totally make it the way I thought it should be because it's their record, you know, it's not mm-hmm. my record, so. So, you know, you can't convince somebody to do, or you can probably, I don't like to try to convince people to do something that they don't want to do or don't, don't really feel good about. But it's always interesting to me when you come up with like that kind of a thing where if you get pushed by like, man, like early scorpions, we love drive or, you know, animal magnetism, even mm-hmm. the more, the, the post Uli John Roth era, you know, yeah. the really good stuff. I mean, those records, I still, I could still, I still listen to those records and I still think that those records sound amazing. Mm-hmm. And I would like to make a record that sounds like that, you know? And if I had access to those people that did that, then I think, you know, I know it could happen. It still would have a slightly modern twist on it. Sure. But you could go, you could really put a modern twist on it and it still would be good. And it's the Scorpions and it, it would still be good. But, but just be a different kind of good. And um, there's something about that old thing. And maybe it's just because what I'm used to, what I grew up on, and it's kind of my roots or whatever, but there's still something about that. Just really, ba- you know, it's very much more distilled. You know, it's just, this, if you removed one thing from some of those early records, the Sabbath especially is a perfect example. You remove one thing, that record falls apart. Mm-hmm. A modern record, you could remove ten things, and probably most people wouldn't know. You know, it, it's it's a very different way of sort well, of how things. Hundred tracks, yes. <laughs> yeah. It's just it's much stuff's much more dense, and I I'm not saying that I don't do that. I do it all the time, make dense records, but sure. But there's something that I my, I am always attracted to this sort of distilled, simplified, and that simplified is not really the right word because sometimes it's not simple at all. But just words like it's down to the 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 core things that make it what it is and there's nothing extra it's mm-hmm. all and it, it makes it a lot easier for you to 
hear everything and get into it you know it's almost like you want to say all right i'm going to make a record it's going to be an analog record and i'm going to do it on a 24 track machine and that's it there's 24 tracks there's no more one of the yeah yeah no bouncing (laughs) no bouncing and we're going to stay off the edge tracks no nothing on one and nothing on 24 (laughs) yeah right we're now to 22 tracks Yes. Yeah. And uh, and and you know that's it. That's what you got in an Eve console. <laughs> yeah. And and you know most of the top fifty record, my favorite top fifty records, probably all fall into that category or damn close. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. Yeah. I always yeah. said that like that when the White Stripes were in their heyday and they were you know they go to, specifically go to an analog based studio and record a mm-hmm. record on like maybe 16 tracks and it's like that's right. all there is right. yeah. Yeah. period you know that's it we're making yeah. the record on this right and, yeah. right and that's when options too many options maybe <laughs> right yeah well the drums can eat up like how many tracks alone well it depends on how good you are and how yeah. good the drummer is <laughs> yeah yeah it depends on how you want to do it but yeah you know one track if you're ringo star i guess you know right one track if you're yeah. star or maybe four tracks if you're tracking kind of old school and you got a drummer that can self um yeah um volume compensate so to speak yeah right and have a good drummer yeah yeah uh this is an interesting question did uh kirk record with greenie yes a a lot oh yeah wow so some would some people involved in the production sometimes would say too much (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> again oh, yeah. right no i'm kidding but yeah he's definitely i mean he i mean james more has a little bit more of a you know, kirk always goes greeny and if he needs especially obviously if he needs a bar he's going somewhere else but it's almost always was like it's greeny or if i need the bar it's the original mummy guitar he's got an esp that that mummy guitar sounds it's a, i don't know what the deal is with it it's it's an esp it's got emgs in it it sounds great, and you pick up he has a hundred ESP guitars with EMGs in it, and none of them sound that good. There's one that sounds very close, and then all the other ones sound totally doesn't have that kind of weird honky mid range. That guitar's got a thing about it that's killer. Hmm. And the same Greeny is, you know, that's a very good sounding guitar too. Yeah, legendary. Yeah, yeah. What a what a great great album i mean great uh guitar i mean i i, yeah. I have i've listened to uh that gary moore blues for greenie right album. i've listened to that album so many times yeah <laughs> it's such a great sounding guitar um let's see any other artists that you'd like to uh any great stories tell us about any slipknot i mean you know stories uh, probably got a million of them i mean you know the slipknot records have always been awesome if we're being talking about heavy music i always really really um love working with those guys it's um no one that it's always surprising if anyone that even people that like the band understand what the record making process is and i'm lucky enough to have worked on a record with them with the original lineup with with when joey and paul were still in the band was still you know still still in there um but even with the records that i've made post that um you know working with jim and corey and clown especially is just it and mick it you know those guitar players are great 
really good. I mean, Jim is super creative, super groovy guitar player. I mean, most what they're doing most of the time is pretty crazy and heavy and extreme. You know, Mick could, I think, play, you know, back to forward, eat a peach, you know, perfect. Hmm. You know, it, it, they love guitars. They're geeks about tone. Um, Corey is like a ridiculously uh, just pro comes in. This is a few few people I've ever worked with are coming out like that prepared and ready to just always delivers. Um, Jay, the drum, the drummer that's in there now is awesome guy. And he, it's kind of a special thing with him because he, when he first joined the band, I was making that record. It was kind of a growing experience. He was quite young and didn't have a ton of experience and certainly was in a situation that could have been incredibly overwhelming for him, but he, he hung in there and, you know, and, you know, the level of weird ideas and crazy outside of the box stuff that happens on a Slipknot record um, session, recording session is pretty cool. And most people probably don't really even have any idea, but it's super fun and uh, super engaging. And those guys definitely like are very inviting and make you feel like you're, I guess, the 10th member of the band, I guess, with those guys. But um, you just get in there and you just become part of the fabric of it all and just work and collaborate and it's uh, you know always a lot of fun and it's very rewarding creatively yeah i was going to ask how challenging it is to work with a band that has a that many people and and b you know everything's so well not everything but a lot of things could be down tuned a lot and how it's yes tuning uh, or excuse me recording versus you know regular standard or Right, it's a different thing for sure. They're too, they tune pretty low. Mm-hmm. They've got two sort of. Sometimes they're even lower than low, but um, <laughs> it, how right. much lower is low? <laughs> right. Right. How low can you go? Yeah, uh, you know, drop B or whatever. <laughs> how about A? Um, <laughs> but they're also oddly um, aware of what it does I'm, i know jim's lots of times like cutting stuff really low and he's like i can't hear the difference between the opening e and the e at the first fret you know i know that it's low but because what can we do you know he's aware of what can happen when you get that low and you start to like lose a sense of pitch almost you know and even though sometimes it doesn't matter because sometimes it's more about just like this it's aggression. A, more of a feel and an aggression thing that you're trying to get and being kind of bendy and out of tune is part of the sound too. But at the same time, he's a very good guitar player and he's hyper aware of like, I, I would like to know if I'm up hitting the, what looks like an F or what looks like an E. Um, and I can't really hear that now. And then we go and start moving knobs and try to get the mid range focused enough to where we can get that kind of, um, you could hear that kind of tonal difference down that low on a guitar. You know, bass is a whole other story, but uh, um, that's just a good. Yeah, like, when the guitars are that low, where does the bass go? The bass goes right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm talking about speakers that don't produce low end, and you, when you're playing, yeah. the fundamental of the note is below most home speakers, you get into trouble. But um, <laughs> but then it, you know you make it up with you put some distortion on it and you make it gritty and you crank a bunch of mid range into it so that you can hear some grind or something. It works. Yeah. But the, yeah. yeah, those guys are always awesome. You know, I've worked with lots of other bands that lots of 
different scenarios that are fun. I worked with a band called The Gossip with Rick many years ago. Maybe one of the most fun projects I've ever worked on. I didn't really know much about the band before I met them. And it was just, they were quirky and weird and, and hyper-talented and super, just the guitar player of that band was like, like not, everything he played always sounded great. It was like whatever it was. And he, somebody's like, let's figure out a part. Hey, what was that? I don't know. You gotta play, play that again. I don't even know what I did. It's like, it was amazing. It was a super fun, super fun project. And again, you know, the projects where it gets like, it's more creative than just like you're in there with them while they're being creative and you're just sort of, you're there to sort of help them capture that stuff. Those things while it's hot. Those are the, I think the projects that always sort of stick out to me and you know, are the most fun. Yeah. Um, I got a question here, Dave, for you. Uh, from Alec, Dave Freeman, quick question. Many thanks. Did you ever visit or work at Make a Music in Chicago in the Meat District? Just curious. They had several train wreck amps and 50 gold tops. Uh, no, but I did work at the LA Making Music, which was Greg Bale's uh, um, second <clears throat> store here in the early 90s. So, and I did play a train wreck he owned. So, uh, a uh, the um, EL84 one, the um, same one that Pete did a video of recently. Hmm. Okay, God, those are nice amps. Oh yeah, cool, cool sounding, really yeah. alive, just crazy bright, but in a good way, like bright percussive bright. That's in in just in lovely, lovely bright. <laughs> if you understand and, yeah and the uh the like the harmonics on it were just insane. yeah exceptionally hyper harmonic they were they were amazing yeah. um so when you go from a band like slipknot how's it then you go to working with adele uh, that's like a um switch you know it, i've heard that question before, or questions like that before it, it's not you know, it's not that weird. Yeah, it's just still recording. Maybe it would be. Yeah, I mean, I I love crazy next level heavy music like Slipknot, and I love people like Adele that can sing the shit out of a song. Oh yeah. I mean, and I've always been that way. You know, when I was in high school, I remember. You know, when I was in high school, it was like Black Sabbath and ACDC was was my wheelhouse. But I also really, really liked Flock of Seagulls, you know, and and a bunch of the new wave bands that were happening mm -hmm. in the early I 80s. Mean, and my mom and that was a problem sometimes with some of my friends, you know, you gotta like, I thought you liked metal or whatever it was, you know, it's like, hey, man, I like music. <laughs> I like melodies. I like cool yeah. words. I like. I agree. I like good grooves. So it's really just like you drop into an Adele session. Um. And it's great music, you know, and I'm excited. I'm just as excited about, you know, a kick-ass ACDC song as I am a kick-ass Adele song. I mean, it. I get similar. I feel this kind of similar way about it when I'm listening to it. So, Yeah, when I was growing up, I could listen to Barbara Streisand. Yeah. You know, beautiful voice, great music. I mean, yeah. I wouldn't put it in my car, but, you know, maybe, a, you know, 
but whatever it's you can appreciate right. the fantastic music so right um, yeah. yeah adele that must have been a great experience that, I mean, that was amazing i didn't know what i don't think any of us knew what we were dropping into there with that record um it was you know put together a rick rick produced the sessions that i worked on and put together a really 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 great band um and that was just a, one of those uh, definitely similar like what i said earlier like you're in the control room and you're like listening to what's coming out the speakers and like oh i don't think i had anything to do with this <laughs> like I don't, know, I don't know how this is happening how is this sounding so good these people are amazing i mean some of the songs on the record that i recorded on that 21 record on that adele record are pretty damn close to live including the vocal um and when you listen to it it's it's hard to understand how that was possible like the drummer on that on those sessions chris dave was like on another planet good i mean everyone on that record was, was amazing oh. um i didn't know chris before that project so i didn't know what i was getting into he was amazing um I, the guitar players i knew really well um the rest of the guys i didn't know the keyboard player either they brought in the guy from the guy that plays keyboards in the roots was like the main keyboard player he was and he knew chris really well or something again just ridiculously amazing and we had like a b3 and a Wurlitzer and something else in the in the live room there and then we had a grand piano but that room where we recorded that record is kind of small we had a grand piano like on the other side of the building like in the living room of the house it was like a house place in shangri-la where rick rick's place out there in malibu and we like rigged up some ridiculous video systems so he could cut live piano while they were you know just tracking live video of course slightly delayed because we didn't have any cool analog equipment but we we had we figured it out enough and he's you know a musician so he's just listening to his ears um and that some of the stuff there's a song called he won't go on that record that is literally like 95 percent of that thing is a live take and it sounded as good as that record sound it sounded that good in the control room on day one it was ridiculous wow um, just you get it i got it dialed up quick for them and those it's just a room full of amazing players and that just kind of clicked and she was on a, that was you know she's amazing it was it was hard to understand how because she's i mean at that time she was what 21 years old or something and you listening to that it's like that's a 21 year old that's that british girl that was smoking a cigarette and using curse language five minutes ago <laughs> is, 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 how is that possible you know and it just was it was, mm. it was funny she was amazing and awesome she was super fun to work with she seems super cool yeah 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 uh paul crane would like to know uh thanks for the super chat if uh discuss working with john frusciante how is that uh, um i i have not worked a lot with john considering to how much chili pepper stuff i've done um not for any reason in particular just this is the way either either the records that i was working on he wasn't in the band at the time or i was busy doing vocals like when we did the californication record we sort of had two rooms and once things kind of got rolling and i came in he was in the room doing guitar overdubs and working with those guys doing background vocals and i was in another room doing lead vocals with with uh 
with Rick. So I certainly know John, and you know, but I don't have a ton of ton of time recording him. The few times that I did, you know, he's he always has a really really good idea of what he wants, um, and you know, the ideas kind of stay out of his way and and let him do it and just help him get his his thoughts down quickly so that he can move on to the next one. Um, but yeah, I don't have a ton of, a ton of, uh, hours working with him face to face. So going back to Adele, you won a Grammy for that, right? Yeah, I was part of the, yeah. Well, Cause I worked on the record that was, that got the album of the year or whatever. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's, that's pretty good. That's great. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's awesome. You know, it's especially awesome for my mom and my dad, but yeah, um, that's amazing. Um, yeah. But fun and weird, you know, you're up there and you're like, Oh wow. Check that out. Yeah. yeah. Check that out. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Have you ever yeah. won any other awards before or was that your first? Um, you know, I, the, the heavy music, uh, that I've worked on over the years has won many, many, many awards, but as you know, or maybe not, I don't know. The hard rock and the metal performance stuff never makes it to the bra is not on yeah, the broadcast, broadcast anymore. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so I think for a while there, I was like, you know, five for five and like metal performance or whatever they were calling the <laughs> thing at the time. Um, but it's not the same, you know, you don't get a statue, you get a, you get a piece of paper, you get like a little document or something. It's not really, you know, it's, yeah, that's. Yeah. That's so yeah, yeah, bullshit. <laughs> really? Oh my god! That's, yeah. I'm sorry to hear that. That sucks. That really does suck. You should you should get a Grammy. You should get the fucking thing. Yeah. yeah I mean, sometimes it depends on what it. Then it changes every year. It used to be a sort of dependent on what the category was, also. Um, but yeah, metal performance. I forget what they all were, but I know Slipknot, Slipknot was in there. Well, that's for awesome. Sure. That's, yeah. Well, congratulations yeah. for winning. All Thanks. That. That's fantastic. Yeah. Um, Daniel Belinsky, uh, thanks for the super chat. Greg, I really love how Metallica sounds on the last three albums. Mesa Diesel Marshall, could you please go into more detail when one was used over another and why? What mics, SM57, something else? Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's always the Mesa is always like a main ingredient and then you know the the, the diesel brings to the to the table a, a sort of a burly low end that's nice and james really likes um the marshall especially on this last record brings a, a mid-range thing that is, doesn't come from anywhere else that's really good so it sort of depends on the song um and you know slower songs tend to lean a little more into the diesel fast songs you maybe don't have the diesel in there at all and you've got a little more of the marshall in there um the the mesa is sort of always a lot of the top end is coming off that mesa and and sort of the mesa is sort of for more of a full range than the other ones but um as far as mics go there's not a lot of 57s mostly 421s for dynamics and um for condense i've always been a ridiculous fan of the cam 84 um, for a dynamic on a guitar cabinet, as long as it's not too loud, but usually you could deal with it. Um, and that I love that combination, an 84 and a, and a 421. But also there's some 414s. I like a 414 on a guitar for the right thing. Um, a couple other little weird things, but th those are the main go-tos. Some 57s, usually 57s for like solos and stuff. 
but he's asking specifically about Metallica. Um, the rhythm stuff is kind of a little bit. The fifty-seven gets a little, a little too narrow or something, and doesn't do quite the same thing like the four twenty-one does. Where do you mic the, the speaker solos. on the four twenty-one? Usually just off. If it's an old Celestian, it's got a small dust cover. It's usually just really close and just sort of where the dust cap meets the the rest of the car. Right. Right, right, right. It's usually the sweet spot. Yeah, the typical spot. Yeah, yeah. But it, I just as uh, you know, you don't hear that many people. I know it's kind of Metallica based, but you, that many people just using the four twenty one. Um, right, a lot like Brendan always used the four twenty one, and Bob too, four twenty one, and and the fifty seven. Right, land. Yeah. I was just curious where he was putting the four twenty one. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's most, I think, I, I swear that you, know, you said, you were talking about Soyuz earlier in this thing, right? I, there's a Soyuz mic on one of Kirk's cabinets, and I'm not going to remember what the model is, it, but it looks more almost like a, like a lollipop kind of a mic or something. Yeah. The one, the, the one that, the, the cool one that you, which you should check out if you haven't is a 1973. Yeah. Really, yeah. really quite a cool sounding full, full bodied uh full frequency response sort of mic you mm -hmm. know that that, that right. captures plenty of mids and top but also fills in in the lows you know right uh for like almost for a one mic kind of thing it's would be very great you know really good right yeah right yeah cool yeah i've never had a lot of luck with like ribbons and stuff i know a lot of people that love them now I don't know it's never really i've certainly used them before but it's never never turned into a go-to for me so yeah that's the set 1973 got it cool not, not crazy priced no not at all oh that's re the retail too but yeah you, you know that they're the companies in it um the sales offices in la in koreatown so you can you can if you're interested in that you should contact them yeah i should check them out yeah, yeah at least hey you got a demo you can let me check out yeah i always i'm always you know forever trying out new stuff so uh yeah. cool gc fenix thanks for the super chat question for all you gentlemen what are your some modern groups that give you hope for the future i'm trying not to always look backwards oh uh, hmm yeah, that's tough for me. Uh, I'm always looking backwards. <laughs> but I, I, I look Mammoth uh, with Wolfgang sounds fantastic. That's amazing. Um, you got the darkness out there, Justin. Yeah, but there. You know, uh, uh, Dirty Honey is not too bad. I heard a oh, new yeah. song by them that I was kind of like, "Wow, that's pretty cool." Um, you know. I, I still don't know how I feel about um I do know how I feel about it. So a bunch of years ago when they first came out, I, I saw Greta Van Fleet. Mm -hmm. And um I'm like, oh, okay. I see ah, the singer is really actually singer's quite good. His voice is a little annoying to me, but but he's a good singer. He's a very controlled singer and like really good. Mm -hmm. And then uh, I think they had some a couple things of mine, and I went to a show at the Palladium here a few uh, before the pandemic, and I went with my buddy, and let's just check it out. And you know what? They were so awesome live. Yeah, I was like, I, I was like, 
this is great. You know, I still sort of have a little hope for them because I think, I think there's, there's some things there that are really cool. And I think they know, uh, you know, it's not all Led Zeppelin derivative. It's, but you know, it is definitely older band derivative. Yeah. Uh, but man, it's so refreshing to see. <laughs> it's right. just haven't seen it in so many years. You know what I mean? Right. And yeah. and like when you see them live, I mean, we were we were having some drinks and stuff, and we were watching them live, and we we're just like, this is totally enjoyable. It was like a great I experience. I mean, I, I when I first heard them, I thought they sounded great. Of course, yeah. they sounded like like Zeppelin. But when they came out and said, like, oh, we're not influenced by Zeppelin, that's when I was kind of like, what? <laughs> you know, really? You I think the magic like, of that band, though, is the, the bass player is actually the kind of the magical kid. Uh, he he really, he's an amazing bass player and keyboard player, and he is like the John Paul, modern-day John Paul Jones <laughs> right. kind of guy. Right, he plays a bunch of stuff. And yeah. he plays a bunch of stuff, and it, it's really good. And it And, you know, the guitars aren't too distorted, and it just, it just... When you see it live, it just punches and is enjoyable. And it's not that I love all the music, but it was it was a really good experience. You know, yep. I hope to see more that I really like because I don't see a lot that I really love these days. Well, I'll tell you, my son, and I know your son Dave probably does the same thing. He's on Spotify, and. He'll listen to one band and then they'll just give these suggestions of these other bands. Oh yeah. And then he he'll we we when we drove up to to bring him up to college, we let him just man the radio. And uh we were listening to all these different bands that I had never heard of before. And I just was like, Oh, that's pretty cool. It was a lot, you know, it was hard yeah. stuff. You know, the funny thing is the my son for a minute, I mean, he's you know, almost thirteen and for a minute, he's like, he was just going down the wrong path in my book. <laughs> you know, it was like it was like all this hip hop stuff and 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 stuff. And I was like, okay, well, all right. And you know, and then all of a sudden, it all changed. And then like he's digging back into like Black Sabbath and digging back into all these other things and. I have all these albums in the house, like actual real physical albums, and he's pulling them out and looking at the covers. And so what's this about? You know, asking questions. And then he's digging back into, you know, the Black Sabbaths and Soundgardens and Nirvanas and and like really great bands. But then just what you said, you know, you tell him one band and then there's suggestions on Spotify for other things. Some stuff I've never even heard of, you know, like, obscure kind of obscure things right yeah but it's older things but they're because he's looking at something that's older and it's obscure you know i said hey you know you should check this out because he seems to like really loud guitars he likes loud heavy guitars right he likes yeah. love slipknot right oh. and uh and he and i go check out uh there's this crazy cool old japanese band from the 80s called easy o and uh, it was a it was a really cool heavy band, and I, he goes he checked that out. But then there was stuff under it that were all this other things. Hey, you ever heard this? And he plays this thing. I'm like, no, but it's cool, <laughs> <laughs> right? You know, it's just like you're going you're going down this because I don't I'm like kind of old school. I don't really use Spotify much, you know. Because yeah, I, I I always I always like to actually give the artist the money, 
and and you know we all know why <laughs> but yeah. uh uh but yeah that almost made me want to use it more because just to just to get turned on to some things maybe i don't know about and then i was listening to billy Mor- morrison's radio show on sirius and then he's his show called influenced right and he's playing some stuff that you know never heard and you know some english different english things and things and and i'm like that's amazing <laughs> i brought it up on the show we have with billy and uh and yeah it's great it's, yeah there's, there's I, music out there i i find i need something to maybe inspire me a little bit i don't know i feel you know after a while you kind of feel like you don't even give a shit anymore about what what the music or anything like you once did i wish you had that feeling like you did when i was a kid you right. know when you were so into yeah. it you right. know yeah oh new band you get burned out. out after a while yeah uh we've got a few more super chat questions and um greg you good for a few more minutes a couple minutes yeah i gotta be uh, just after seven i got something i gotta take care of but okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll wrap it up um asheville guy uh, oh jesus Thanks yeah. for the super chat. Hey guys, great show. Greg, when recording a Plexi style amp, what is your signal chain from mic, preamp, EQ, compressor, et cetera, to the input of your recording medium? Do you use the standard dynamic ribbon comma? We just kind of talked about that. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it would be, you know, Neve mic amps are my go to always, 1073 or 1081. Um, I don't almost. N- never compress guitars uh at least not heavy guitars if it's a clean guitar i might um do that but it's kind of a more of a rock thing i don't use a lot of compression eq usually from the neve sometimes i'll pop a pull tech or something like that or a lang or something on it to give it a little more top and bottom um but you know the right mic the right head the right speaker right guitar player <laughs> is a uh, is is the most important thing. I, like I said, I, the ribbon thing has never been a great match for me. I prefer a dynamic and a condenser, but mm-hmm. um, but I know a lot of people that get killer sounds with ribbons. It's just not where I go. Well, you have to mix them with a fifty-seven yeah. or something to get yeah. the cut because the rhythm's kind of dark yeah. and bushy. Yeah. And are there any particular other? pieces of the signal chain that you use such as eq compressors anything i mean the eq i would use like i said it'd be a neve like a 1073 or 108 for guitars 1081 sometimes are a little bit better you got that fourth band i like that and like i said a Poltec eq could help sometimes i'll do like a, a api 550 that's kind of a slipknot guitar sound uh, mm-hmm. not trick but a tool that i like mm-hmm. to use it's got really great mid-range control you can get pretty boost those low mid-range tones in there when you're down tuned it helps helpful keeps it really punchy too Mm. cool great uh anthony DeCarlo, thank you for another great show greg can you go over your favorite vocal chains for recording and mixing vocal chains um the mic would depend on the singer so for someone like a james hetfield this is going to be an sm7 Someone like Adele, what do we use a Telefunken 251? Mm-hmm. So it really depends on you know what is Anthony Kiedis is of SM7. I almost always again a Neve Mike Pre is my go-to 1073 and a vocal, I think is very hard to beat. And then compression. I I like I 
do that for a while. I like putting like an 1176, but also with some like a slower, either an LA-2A in there too, mm -hmm. or like a stay level, something that's a little slower and thicker. Um, and I'll do both of them. It's not that it's super hyper crushed going down, but um, sort of get some of the fast control with the 1176 and the, the, the LA-2 or the stay level is more, you almost kind wow. of live in it a little bit. Mm -hmm. It kind of helps just make it sound a little more together and gives a little fatness to it, I guess is the word. And you can't go wrong um, with an SM7 or a Telefunken. No, you cannot. Probably any bike for you probably would be great, but yeah. Yeah. Can't. But I think also, you know, with vocals especially, the, if you start to get too complicated, probably going to regret it later. And that goes for EQ. So almost no EQ. If you got a good mic, you probably shouldn't have to use an EQ much except for maybe some filtering or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and if you use an SM7, mm -hmm. if you do EQ later a little bit yeah. on the vocal, it takes it very friendly. Yeah. You know, it's just like that that in particular for rock guys, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, cars in Depth, great young Detroit guitarist, Brendan Lindsley. You know him, Dave? Nope, I don't. Oh, well, thanks for this suggestion and the Super Chat. Uh, and the last question for the night, KGS 1982. Uh, best show on the internet, 260 so 60 episodes deep. Keep it up. Love what you do. Is that really how many episodes we've done? Well, maybe with uh, all our shorts and everything else. Maybe that's <laughs> all the stuff that we've got up there. Like, wow. Yeah. I don't know. I don't, I don't remember that's doing 260. I know we're on 144. we got about 20 ass Daves. And so, yeah, we're, we're getting up there. So. It's a lot. It's a lot, yeah. A lot of a lot of stuff for you guys to watch. And Greg, I can't thank you enough for coming on. It's a sure. To meet yeah, you thanks, Greg. Your, yeah, it's uh, fun. Thanks, guys. Your career is obviously amazing. Um, and uh, looking forward to hearing what you're going to be doing next. Cool. All right. For sure. Awesome. Good to see you guys, Dave. I'll see you soon. I'm sure. Yeah. Is that Jose still healthy? Didn't it yeah, break it down is, again? Yeah. And then it it, it broke it one. It, we we tried to blow it up once, and then it got repaired, and it's all it's solid since. Okay, it's good, great, great. Yeah, good to hear. It's well, awesome. Piece. Well, our next uh, our next show, we'll have to get it scheduled. Um, I'm off for two weeks. <clears throat> I'm traveling for work, and then uh, and then whatever I forget what, and then I'm traveling the following weekend to go see my son. So up in college, so we won't have a show for two weeks, and then Dave and I will probably come back for an Ask Dave show, and uh, and that's it. So guys, have a great weekend. Enjoy. You too. All right, hang guys. On. Yeah, Greg, hang on one second while we say goodbye. And, okay. uh, take care guys. All right.